Welcome to the podcast Jabber and an episode entitled George Smith. Before we begin, we would like to apologize to you, our audience, for our extended absence. The holidays came, and then shortly thereafter, we contracted COVID. However, we are back and looking forward to releasing new episodes on a regular basis. Once again, thank you for your patience and for your support. George Smith and his wife Beatrice happily anticipated their trip to France. A second honeymoon, they were calling it. There was an added intrigue to George who was a skilled swordsman and sword designer. He had long hoped to study fencing with the French master, Varie, who resided in Saumur. So began for George and Beatrice several beautiful and adventurous weeks in France in the summer of 13. A second honeymoon, it would be something neither of them would soon forget. Since boyhood, George Smith had longed to see the beautiful Bocage country between Samir and Schoberg. A California native, he nonetheless admired French art and philosophy, passionately perused French history, and even spoke French fluently. He had visited France once before, but his stay had been extremely brief. This time he promised himself he would drink it all in. He would absorb it into his soul. It was a bright, breezy morning when he and B set out in their car for nowhere in particular. But before long, George grew quiet and pensive, strangely distant. B asked if anything was wrong. George shook his head. No, I don't think so, he said. Yet clearly something was wrong. Perhaps, he considered, it was the years of anticipation, of picturing this picturesque countryside. Perhaps that's what made him suddenly feel, feel that he had been there before, that he had traveled these roads before and trod these gentle hills before. I know what's on the trees over there, he told B. And then he described what he had never seen. And to B's amazement, as their cars passed the tree, the scenery was precisely as George described and predicted. Time and time again, as they drove through the groves, George described what lay ahead, as though somehow he somehow knew what lay ahead, though he could not have possibly known. For days, the couple explored the Bocage country with George continually and correctly envisioning the miles that lay before them. Of course, The French have a phrase for it. They call it déjà vu, literally meaning 
already seen. The sense, sometimes faint, sometimes powerful, that one has been there before. As for George Smith, he and B relished their second honeymoon and returned refreshed to America, where George became a renowned fencing instructor and was named the first ever United States Army Master of the Sword. Three decades later, the world would hold its breath as that same man slashed his way to Berlin, cutting Hitler's army to pieces. He was a tank commander then. He was a brilliant, flamboyant, eccentric four-star general nicknamed Old Blood and Guts. That's right, George Patton. George Smith Patton. And as General Patton's third army deftly, swiftly maneuvered its way through the roads of France, astonished soldiers and civilians friends and enemies, disclaimed that it was as though George Patton knew precisely where he was going, as though he had been there before. Well, now that you know, he had, at least once before. To the soldiers who respectfully served under him, he was the old man. To his detractors, he was, as has already been mentioned, old blood and guts. To war department officials reflecting on the odd-looking military uniform he had designed himself, he was the green hornet. To, To history, he is simply George Smith Patton. Jr., one of the most colorful, most remarkable fighting men of this or any century. America was on the verge of involving itself in a second world war. General George Patton was not about to be left out. In the summer of 1940, he went to Fort Benning, Georgia, as a brigade commander with the 2nd Armored Division. He was itching to take on Hitler's awesome armored army. When he got to Fort Benning, he was sorely disappointed. The 300-plus tanks that he found there were in shocking disrepair. Panels were rusting. Parts were missing. More than 2,000 other vehicles, trucks and jeeps, motorcycles and half-tracks were in a similarly sorry state. Now, George Patton was a serious-minded, dedicated soldier, and he knew how stone-cold critical it was to get this fighting machinery back into working order. And yet, there unraveled a sticky something that threatened to bind Patton's hands throughout the remainder of his career. Army red tape. Argue as he might, he simply could not get the spare parts he needed through official channels. So Patton did something which would doubtlessly 
get him into all kinds of trouble today. He made an end run around the United States Army. He circumvented their standard operating procedures by seeking to get private money to renovate the second armored division. And the individual he got to finance that renovation, you just could not believe. The secret benefactor was a wealthy man. He was known in some circles as a socialite. In some circles, well, he was known to be the playboy type. He owned a yacht, he owned a string of polo ponies, and he was the last person you'd ever expect to finance the restoration of our military establishment. An envious few insisted that he flouted his wealth, and yet what he exhibited was really just exuberance for life itself. It was a real lifelong passion for fun. But now, there arose a serious need. The United States would be embroiled in a global conflict in no time at all. George Patton knew it. He also knew that Americans must not march into this battle as an ill-equipped laughingstock, and thus stepped forward this, until now, secret donor. concerned 55-year-old benefactor who, as I mentioned, had had a reputation as a playboy, but who footed the entire bill out of his own pocket to repair Patton's tanks and trucks and half-tracks and the rest, never ever to be reimbursed by the United States government. He was never reimbursed. The total personal cost to him surely was enormous. And it was a sum he kept mum all the way to his grave. For the concerned citizen who quietly put his own cash on the line was no civilian at all. It was... General George Patton himself. Patton personally, out of his own private resources, got his division's war machinery rolling with a multitude of spare parts. Spare parts costing untold thousands of dollars, which he had ordered directly from a Sears and Roebuck catalog. You heard it on Jabber. Please subscribe wherever you are listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, please leave us a five-star review. That helps us so very much. Also, if you'd like to reach out to the show, you can reach us by emailing jabberpodcast at gmail.com. That's J-A-B-R podcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks again for listening.